Welcome to Packet Pushers Heavy Networking. And today's sponsored episode with Palo Alto Networks is a, I'd like to say, a non-normal discussion around why SD-WAN is obsolete. Well, kind of. If you listen to Packet Pushers regularly, and a lot of you do, we often discuss SD-WAN and the massive change that it's wrought to the WAN network over the last 10 years from its original rather simple beginnings as a overlay network connectivity to a much more complex networking and security system. It's much more comprehensive than just connecting two sites together. It's now a whole security thing as well. We've seen SASE and, and Zero Trust and a whole range of things come into that. But what we don't always highlight is that SD-WAN network overlays that do this connectivity have also become increasingly sophisticated. So we want to sort of come back and revisit this idea of SD-WAN and, and the features that we are now seeing in a modern deployment. Just to set the opening topic, enterprise IT WAN networks are multi-cloud. There's SaaS, on-prem, off-prem data centers, you know, managed in someone else's cloud. You've got your on-prem, you've got branch WAN networks, you've got the branch LAN, as well as distributed or hybrid work or remote users, however you want to call it. All of those are now just one went in. Once upon a time, they would have been different things, but now they're all just one. And defining that network that you have to protect and defend has just never been harder because, well, where is the network? It's sort of this very amorphous edge that just never seems to stop. It gets right the way out to the Wi-Fi and the branch these days. We're joined by Bill Pruitt. He is a product line manager at Palo Alto Networks. And let's get in to the first question without any more foofing around about what's changed with branch networks. Bill. Yeah, you know, I think uh, a lot of things are still the same, and a lot of things are are changing rapidly. So if you think about the you know the legacy branch router, we had MPLS there, you know, leveraged pretty much ubiquitously across every customer network that had really rigid SLAs, and then if they had a backup connection, it was really an active backup and for all traffic. The general traffic vectors were around sending traffic to the data center, uh, kind of hairpinning every through you know, either a global or regional set of data centers, which gave a kind of a natural choke point to uh, put in security services at those data centers. You know, this has worked out well for a while, but as things started to change in how we consume applications, then that created a real set of problems for that legacy WAN. And those problems probably had to do with things like performance, because if I'm you know, wanting to access a SaaS application, having to hairpin it through a set of security services that could be on the other side of the country and then send it back out to a cloud location, that's not great for performance. That's right. Uh, even when I had my own network, you know, back 10 plus years ago, we struggled with that same problem where we would have, you know, users, let's say in California, that may need to come back to a data center in the East Coast, uh, only to be sent back to California to consume a cloud service. So we've mm. seen a lot of those use cases. Uh, they continue to be a problem anytime you choose to centralize really anything in the modern enterprise. So really what we did was we moved the WAN edge from what used to be in the data center, you know, with that hub and spoke, everything went back to the, to the data center, to the edge. So what's happening is we do split tunneling. Split tunneling is where we send traffic direct to the internet and the traffic that needs to go somewhere else goes off down the thing. And But it's all monitored and logged and inspected. So we get all the advantages of having it in the data center that we had you know, back in the day, but now it's all logged, inspected. You know, Users are, are known at the edge of the network in the appliance. Yeah, I think th those are some of the, the early promises of, uh, of SD-WAN going back 10 years ago was to have that kind of split tunneling capability, maybe send traffic you know, to A or B. But then where things kind of fell short is if you're dependent upon those, uh, those tunnels to deliver that traffic and or measure the performance of the applications or the, the network transport, that really came up a little bit short in what we found. So we've always kind of had an eye towards the future. 
for SD-WAN and the the eye was, okay, how can we really focus on not just delivering a bookended type solution, but uh, really striking at the heart of delivering an application experience? That's kind of where we, we've you know always been focused from, an, from a product standpoint. What I'm remembering there now is when SD-WAN first came out, we sort of treated it like packets. We were going to replace routed networks with these overlay networks and we moved from using MPLS to using broadband. And then all of a sudden we realized, hang on, we've got these boxes that can do application performance monitoring. They can do filtering. They can do inspection. Much, much like routers were almost obsoleted overnight. It took 10 years for us to get around to changing them, but that's that's really what happened to us in the for sort of the early generations of SD-WAN. That's right. Yeah. And I think the, the critical part is at the application layer, right? Being able to identify the application, uh, but also make you know intelligent decisions on the application, measure its performance throughout the history of the session. Those were all critical things that needed to be delivered to really give that, that true end-to-end experience. But then also the visibility. This So more recently, we've seen Palo Alto Networks develop the Prisma solution, right? Which is where you've got the cloud service and then the data that's in the SD-WAN service is, is now uploaded and you use that for monitoring telemetry visibility. That's right. Yeah. The overall SASE experience, it's not just a, a you know point product anymore. It's it's a platform of of a, of a solution that can really look across all of the different endpoints of the network. It's not like you said before, it's not just a you know set of point-to-point links or MPLS anymore. It's uh, any user coming from any potential location across the the branch, the data center, the mobile user, they come from everywhere. So getting that visibility into a cohesive or a centralized place is is really critical. You know, you mentioned that uh, with SD-WAN, we could get a little bit more information about link performance and typically deliverables were jitter, latency, packet loss. But you're saying that you think you can get more information, particularly around higher level application data? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that's just kind of at a transport level where you measure jitters, latency, and loss. Uh, when you've got a good handle on the application and and, it, and its needs of the network and understanding how it performs, you can measure other things. And those include things like application, RTT, even up to server response time, three-way handshake failures, transaction failures, DNS round trip time. There's a whole host of other application metrics that you can layer on top of just that basic level transport. And that application data gives you a bigger picture and also maybe helps you get to that uh, mean time to end a sense that maybe it's not quite the network this time around. That's right. Yeah. The things that are actionable from a, a network layer, those are definitely you know, measured and then acted on in, the, in our system. But then there's also things that aren't necessarily actionable, but they get you that mean time to end a sense that you alluded to, Drew. <laughs> I prefer mean time to innocence than mean time to repair or mean time to diagnosis. I think the other thing too is that we also change. We sometimes we forget the first generations of SD-WAN were often active passive. So one overlay, you'd have like a couple of broadband connections or broadband and an MPLS and people would find the broadband faster than the MPLS service nine times out of 10, but only one could be active at any given point in time. But today we actually able to do load balancing between the two, or can we actually do load balancing across both circuits? Yeah, on the point around preferring mean time to innocence, uh, we had a, a customer, and that was what they were setting out to to solve some problems around addressing SaaS services. It, you know, you went from okay having a server to go and look at and check its CPU and memory if you suspected a server issue to mm-hmm. basically dealing with some amorphous cloud provider. And we saw a lot of that early on with our customers, and giving them the tools to not only take intelligent action automatically, but to go back to that cloud provider. We've had a customer that did this very early on with Office 365 and their email. 
So they were able to, you know, differentiate quickly a network problem from an application problem as a service, a SaaS service, and the power <laughs> there to enable those network teams to go back to that provider. It, it was really unparalleled at the time. That's something that we've been delivering day in, day out for our clients for nearly 10 years now. It's a bit more than just doing ICMP from the command line. The, it really did move the troubleshoot. It's hard to remember how far SD-WAN moved the operational part of the network forward. And, you know, not only did we actually get a built-in visibility telemetry solution, we actually changed the whole idea of, you know, is it broken? I can send a ping. What else can you tell me about the network? Nothing. We never used to be able to until we got SD-WAN and SASE and that telemetry stuff. That's right. And, and the best part is it's it's there being monitored 24 hours a day around the clock. You don't have to turn anything on. Uh, mm -hmm. Every single application session, its performance, all the characteristics are captured there for you to go and look up at a later date and time. Because let's face it, recreation of a problem has always been very problematic for practitioners. You know, is it going to be broken at that time? Can I get the right users? Oh, they're, you know, 13 and a half hours different time zone. Uh, how do yeah. I get them all organized? And those are problems that you now have. Have, but you can go look up uh, in the in the UI to go to answer those questions. So now, how does Palo Alto's SD WAN vision today differentiate from back then? I mean, there was lots of things that we used to talk about, and we talked about things that have changed over time. But are there others? Yeah, with an eye towards the branch of the future, which we've always you know kind of kept that eye forward on. Not are we solving just today's problems, but also tomorrow problems as well. We see really kind of breaking this down to a few different things, right? One is around elasticity of the network. And that's where, you know, can the network you're delivering, is it flexible enough to provide the services you need? Can the capacity grow as needed? Do you have the right level of availability from a services standpoint? Is the uptime availability uh, going to meet the SLAs? That's the, the first kind of foundational layer of the network. Next would be around application SLAs. This is where we get into defining really the business requirements at a policy level and the business requirements for that set of applications to make sure that we have a great user experience and a good outcome there. Next is around how do we um, have a good security model and deliver zero trust from end to end for all the application sessions. And this is really through a defense in depth approach uh, where we start all the way at the branch LAN, uh, perhaps doing even authentication um, at the LAN layer if needed, yeah. all the way yeah. through uh, interzone uh, into the cloud security backbone, um, all the way to the end solution, um, the end service being consumed. So there's a lot to think about there. And then lastly, how do you automate it and deploy it? <laughs> I mean, we often forget with SD-WAN, it's that whole software defined part is just in built in. Configuration yeah. management, asset management, contract management, circuit management. That's all just part of the solution now. That's not an extra. It's not a side. It's not a new license. It's well, for Palo Alto Networks, it's not anyway. Yeah, we used to spend, you know, days typing out configs in text files, you know, just not more than a decade ago. Now all of that is automated. It just happens. It's, a, it's just an, an inherent yeah. part of the platform. So uh, you're right. You're right. We, get, we kind of lose sight of that. But um, these are really important things that um, are still delivered and still add a lot of value today. Okay, Bill, so you laid out sort of four principles, and I want to dig into them a little bit more, each one. You know, when we first uh, became part of the Palto family, um, we looked at, you know, both uh, the access solution, 
and then we looked at SD WAN, and it at the time, you know, the way those were delivered was it was a cloud delivered solution. So we fell into this uh, this Prisma uh, view of the world. So it was Prisma SASE, and the two components were Prisma Access and Prisma SD WAN. What we've seen in the past several years is that even the like the the foundational network security components of of NGFW have changed how they're managed. So no longer do you need a panorama to manage your NGFWs. Um, these are now you know completely managed from the cloud as well. So as we started to look forward around a you know like the the network security as a platform, it made perfect sense for us to look at how these products uh, how they're all the same in, in so many ways. And we developed a a new information architecture a couple of years back. And we took some really big steps this year to bring those products together into the network security platform and you know, leveraging all their common policy objects, you know, security capabilities, all the device management, all those things are now from a common platform. And the whole intent here is just to give the customer a single place to go to, to manage everything network security oriented. Hmm. Sounds like some consolidation of, of management capabilities into one platform. That's right. Yes. So um, if you think about just the, the four basic pillars of network security, NGFW, uh, you have you have access, SD-WAN, ADEM, uh, and many other capabilities that are the, uh, that I won't go into all those, but they're all a part of this common management UI now. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into that. Then this one of the first pillars you outlined was uh, an elastic network. Can you dig into a little more about what you mean by an elastic network? Because that sounds very cloudy, but we're talking about a branch network, you know, sitting in a branch and connecting to hardwired circuits. What is it? So how do you get elasticity out of that? Yeah, elastic networks, really what that means is that we're able to uh, uh, leverage any type of connectivity available, uh, whether that be uh, broadband, satellite, 5G, LTE, MPLS, uh, point-to-point, all those things in an active-active manner and differentiated even perhaps down to the application layer. So we talked about, you know, active and backup earlier, and that's kind of everything worked previously was it was, you know, every every app, you know, packet went on an active link uh, in Gen 1 SD-WAN, and then it may follow, have failed over to a backup link. Um, that's not really how Prisma SD-WAN's ever worked. Uh, we've always been able to say, okay, um, you know, this application can take MPLS, uh, another application can take uh, broadband internet, um, and then a third one can take both. Very much differentiated services um, at, at that level. And then um, at an HA layer, so you think about, yeah, that's all software, the software part, but there's also a, a hardware piece here that gets glazed over a lot. And the way that we've designed the system from the ground up is that um, even in the event of a hardware failure, we leverage uh, some hardware capabilities, you know, as pass-through ports or, or bridge ports um, that allow us to preserve 100% of the WAN capacity uh, for those circuits. So if you have a critical process crash, or if you have, you know, a, a hardware, a power supply go bad, um, that's not a problem for your network capacity. You keep all of that even in the event of a failure. And I think another distinction you'd make uh, in this elasticity is that when you're looking at performance, application performance, you're, you're basing things on application sessions and not just individual packets. That's right. You know, the network of yesterday looked at things through a per packet basis where, you know, those packets were routed based upon, you know, routing metrics at the time. We look at things as a an end-to-end uh, experience for the, for the end user, for the customer. And the only way to really do that is by measuring things at an application layer. Uh, there is no other way to do that if you're not looking at uh, things through, at an app session perspective. 
Now, what about routing complexity? Because SD-WAN obviously simplifies a lot of things, but if I'm trying to connect branches to other branches and branches to data center and branches to cloud services, the underlay, the routing can get kind of complex. Have you done anything there to simplify that? Yeah, that, that's one of the, uh, I think the core value propositions is, you know, there's no routing protocol to configure in the overlay anymore. Uh, that's what we used, we did that years ago. We would configure not just an underlay routing protocol, but an overlay routing protocol. <laughs> oh, never mind, don't uh, don't have them be redistributed into each other, creating a routing loop. So you had to just manage so much uh, complexity in the network. Uh, so that was really a core part of our value proposition was to eliminate that. So yes, you know, there's still an underlay network and it does what it needs to do. Uh, but the overlay is completely programmed, uh, programmed by a centralized controller um, to, to get information, uh, get, get the data to where it needs to go uh, based upon policy and current network conditions. And how about network segmentation? That's also um, a topic we're hearing a lot about. Folks want to make sure traffic is being protected by being able to segment off different types of traffic based on policy, security requirements, compliance, et cetera. You know, segmentation can look at through a few different lenses. And one of the, uh, I think, original features at the MVP level, you know, 10 years ago was to to segment traffic. And the way we've, we've tackled that network segmentation was by leveraging something that we called a context. And context is really just a, a, a configuration label that you assign to an interface. But the, the power in that is I can use that label. Let's say maybe it's a, a guest network or maybe it's a, a, a voice over IP network. Mm. Um, I can give that label to an interface. And now that's referenced throughout each different type of policy. So I can say um, voice gets a higher level of quality of service. Mm -hmm. uh, if I want to do it at the network layer versus at the app layer, or I want to send um, you know, this guest traffic uh, gets a certain uh, path selection to only use uh, internet um, versus my internal traffic may get to use internet plus MPLS. Um, mm. And then also from a security standpoint, I want to treat, you know, traffic differently, you know, guest traffic needs to be segmented. So that could be uh, segmented there from a security standpoint. Now that was, you know, filled in a, a huge part of the canvas as far as possibilities go. And then we also recently added in an augmentation to that. So these are complementary things where you can have both a context um, and a separate VRF instance or virtual routing forwarding instance. Mm -hmm. And that that what that did for our customers is where they had you know overlapping IP addresses that allowed them to you know segment that out and have overlapping IP addresses both um, at the same branch or across the network. And this helped with some MA cases and things like that. Uh, but really just you know it introduced that augmentation of segmentation to support overlapping IPs. What about migrations? It used to be quite tricky to migrate. So if you've got a network with 500 branches or a thousand branches, you don't really want to be able to say, oh, I've got to shut them all down. And then on the next day, I've got to bring them all up over a weekend or something. You want to be able to migrate the two together. Have the tools for doing that improved? Absolutely. We had, um, this has been a topic for many customers um, over the years, and we've had a um, one in, in recent history, they were um, two companies that deal with metals and recycling. And mm -hmm. they brought together two companies of, you know, a moderate size network, you know, to be at 150 locations at the end. Um, and, you know, there's, there's of course, phases to uh, integration of, of different networks. And um, I think we want to be able to support that entire continuum from, I need to get some type of beachhead of connectivity uh, yeah, into yeah. you between the networks. And that has the typically, you know, is using uh, things like NAT 
and uh, and and security, you know, to very tightly control some of those things. Uh, and once you have that basic beachhead of communication stood up, then being able to just to pull those those new locations um, into the common network backbone. That's what the customer did. They grew from about I think it was around forty locations at uh, at one company that was an original yeah. SD WAN customer, and expand that out to about a hundred and fifty site network. And they did that uh, in an easy fashion. They just uh, shipped out devices. Yeah, wink by wink. absolutely. They didn't even have to send people to site. It was literally just able to ship them out. You ship them out. You know, they pull down their configuration when they're powered on, and then uh, they automatically connect to cloud security services and uh, all of the data center resources are stood up. You know, the branch to branch communication. It's all there automatically. Really, really powerful for them to do that migration. Because mm, it was tricky in the old days. So if you wanted to start thinking about doing it today, it's a bit easier. Is what I'm hearing. You've got customers who run two networks in parallel, or in this case, three networks, you've got the the two companies that are merging and they're building a shared network, and they were able to integrate those all together. So Bill, one of the things you talked about uh, as, as a pillar was the notion of an application SLA or an app SLA. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Because SLAs in the traditional context are something that a service provider offers to you, not the, maybe this is now me as a network engineer being able to offer SLAs internally to my business units, or do you mean something else? I think it's very similar in concept to what a, a carrier might provide, but now you're able to offer an SLA uh, to a specific, you know, it could be a, an application suite or a set of users um, or a particular region in the network. Uh, you can define the SLA and give some level of assurance around that. And I think, um, you know, it's kind of a, a few viewpoints on that or, or a few phases to that. Mm -hmm. First, you have to be able to uh, measure performance. We talked about that earlier. That begins with identification. So identification, having a good understanding of what the application is, what its expectations of the network are. That's always been a core part of the, the platform we've worked on now for the past 10 years. And a little known fact about that is or very early on, we actually hired Palo Alto App ID engineers to build an App ID engine that was more network centric. Mm -hmm. uh, so we did that back in, in 2014. And then what that enabled us to do was when we became, you know, a part of a big, the Palo Alto family several years ago, making the, the very small incremental changes to adopt the actual NGFW App ID engine was very, very easy because we already had the similar frameworks in place. So that's really the, the 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 very place that it starts is identifying the application. Next, you know, measuring those uh, the application performance. Um, that includes at the app layer, you know, things like the transaction time, uh, init and transaction failures, uh, reachability of the actual application layer, and verification of that. Um, those are all really important things for uh, you know TCP traffic and for real time traffic. You have things like MOS scores and measuring bidirectional you know mm -hmm. jitter and things like that. So this gives you the right you know framework to do enforcement for these applications, and. Mm -hmm. But in enforcement, okay, what does this actually mean? So this means that you have a, a way to uh, set for each one of those applications. Uh, let's say it's a, you know, a given uh, TCP level round trip time or NIT failure, or maybe you actually just want to use the, some of the uh, underlay metrics of latency loss jitter. All those are, are possible combinations. Uh, you specify those expectations for this, you know, match criteria. This could be a user, again, an application, any you know combination of paths. It's very very flexible framework. You mm. specify that this is the SLA. Uh, the system will then it will find the available paths to fulfill that SLA, and 
if for some reason there is not a path available in the system, whether it, you know, again, based upon whatever uh, security capabilities or security configuration you have, if it cannot meet this SLA, then the system will automatically invoke forward error correction, adaptive forward error correction specifically to make sure that we can achieve that SLA. So to kind of summarize, you have, you know, you specify what the expectations are for this application set. Um, the system will try to meet that. If it can't meet that with the given performance, then it'll invoke forward error correction and will adaptively encode more or less uh, error correction based upon how much loss is actually present in the transport network. That's really sophisticated. Like that is so far from where we were, you know, five or 10 years ago when we were just sending packets into encrypted tunnels. We're now actually doing dynamic forward error correction according to the performance of the end-to-end -end circuit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is kind of broadening the framework out is really just a start of where we're going with this uh, app SLA assurance. There's a, a couple more things we're going to introduce into this framework as far as how it works now to kind of round it out. You have to be able to not just ensure the SLA, identify all those things. Uh, you need to have to have a full operational life cycle uh, around yeah. that. Mm, so yeah. that's the, the the visibility piece comes into this. Now here you can say, okay, I've got a, a user and, and a set of applications that need this L SLA. The system will enforce that SLA to your conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you so choose, you can, the system will generate um, an alert for you that says, hey, you wanted to be notified if these conditions were violated. Um, right. Here is an application uh, that is, you know, we've had to invoke four error correction on uh, you wanted to know about this. Um, here's when it happened. Here's why it happened. But because that's important because if you're invoking FEC, like forward error correction, you're also potentially introducing latency on certain traffic types. So I need to know that you invoked it for troubleshooting purposes because I might suddenly get a call from someone saying, oh, something slowed down and I can't see what's, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's that type of thing going on in the background. Yes, it is important to know that. And, and it's really good too. What we've been accused of, we had a, a global logistics company some years ago. <laughs> they accused us of being a little too thorough in our masking of actual <laughs> transport issues. So we, we do go out of our way to at least give the customer the option to be notified when there are underlying issues. And this is kind of one more layer of that now at the app session layer. We, of course, have correlation uh, that we can do across those, you know, when, when you have like, a, you know, you won't get a, a notification for every single user. Uh, mm -hmm. We might look across uh, the entire region. If you have a carrier, like in a re particular region that has a problem, we'll look across that whole region and say, okay, these 50 sites using this carrier, um, they are having this particular issue, latency loss jitter. So we'll correlate that. Um, but again, we want to give the, the the customer at least an option to get that visibility into it because um, they do want to know when things are broken, even though we do a pretty good job of masking that to the actual end customer experience. And it sounds like you can provide them with essential context to help them identify the problem faster, right? That's right. Yeah. Instead of generating 50 different uh, alarms for a particular problem, we, get, we give them one. We show them, hey, it's affecting 50 sites. And mm. <laughs> uh, they can go and really drill into that carrier and say, oh, I'm going to call you know, carrier X, yeah. carrier Y, get them to address the problem versus me sifting through you know, hundreds of log messages like we used to do in the old days. It's so weird that 10 years ago, when you got an alert, you dynamically finding the actual underlying root cause or root cause alerting. That was a whole separate product once upon a time. Now it's just a standard feature. That's right. That's exactly right. I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. You know, yeah. we, used to, we used to buy solutions to help us do that type of thing. Yeah. Root cause analysis. And we, or you'd send all your logs in and it would be, you'd, you'd spend months 
configuring a decision tree. So you'd say these alerts are dependent on these alerts from, and then they'd start to build some intelligence into it and all that. And now it's just a standard feature. We don't even question it. It's just like, well, of course it's there, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, we know how the system works and we, it's pre-trained <laughs> on, uh, you know, supervised uh, learning to, to know when those things are related and it finds that on the fly dynamically uh, mm. and gets to that in real time when those problems happen. It's a pretty powerful part of the platform. So we also have to have a security conversation because it's essential to SD-WAN. This is really the the, the core security backbone of our SASE platform. Uh, and it, it's it's the uh, communication hub for anything, uh, any particular traffic patterns that could be uh, for that mobile user, for the branch user, data center application, cloud application, SaaS application, kind of sits at the, at the heart of the network and provides that secure uh, backbone to deliver the, those security services. Okay, so this is cloud-delivered security services, I can send traffic to run it through a variety of security services? That's correct. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's really the cool part of the platform is that you've got um, not just, you know, the I'll say basic NGFW, that's kind of a, a little bit of an understatement, um, but <laughs> you, you've got you know all these different layers of things, but then you also have cloud-delivered services like IoT security that does all this, you know, assessment of devices on your network, uh, cloud user ID. Um, it's really just, a, it's, it's the entry point to the secure backbone that offers all, just a multitude of services um, there delivered from the cloud. And this is really important or even vitally important when you're supporting distributed work, whether people are at coffee shops or working from home or from customer premises, you want to be able to get all of their traffic and move it through a known point. So this CASB type idea where there's a security broker for all laptops or desktops in the company and the traffic goes through so that you can get visibility into what people are doing on your behalf when they're you know, working remotely. You can make... Uh, people who are, who are at home, perhaps you don't have the necessary skills to keep their computers in good condition. You can say this keeps them safe so they don't download malware and all that sort of stuff. This is really, you know, this is the zero trust thing where you, you want to be able to say, I can see all the traffic going into this CASB. I know what's going on. I don't have to trust the the laptop so much or the, the you know, the, the smartphone. That's right. Yeah, we're basically leveraging the, the network transport to get the user access to those applications, but in, in a way that uh, never compromises on security, uh, nor performance for that matter. And we look at performance across uh, a couple different lenses. One is uh, measuring the performance. So we have a, a critical part of the platform, which I mentioned earlier, which is uh, ADEM or Autonomous Digital Experience Management Solution. Um, it looks at things from multiple perspectives. So it does uh, both from a, a Prisma SD-WAN branch perspective, the uh -huh. mobile user perspective, and the Prisma uh, access yeah. perspective. So understanding you know, 24 hours a day, how are these critical applications performing from all those perspectives? That's one uh, critical part. And then also more recently uh, introduced is um, an application acceleration solution uh, native in Prisma Access. So uh, not only measuring the application performance, we're actually improving the application performance using our cloud native app acceleration. Um, this is a really exciting technology we've introduced um, here just last month in November. And um, you know you're going to see up to five x improvement on uh, your throughput, your performance uh, across the, you know, any number of SaaS applications or even internal applications. It's a really exciting technology we've introduced. 
So this is getting back to the where SD-WAN started for some companies was it started with uh, WAN accelerators. And there were things that you could do to improve the performance of applications, but also just simple things like TCP acceleration and so forth. So this is a return to the technologies of old that are still relevant in 2024. In a manner of speaking, it is. Mm -hmm. um, but then you've got to look at how, how things can be delivered in a way that doesn't require you to put some power-hungry box near every user. Mm -hmm. um, so this is really, we've taken a whole different approach on it and leveraged some, uh, we'll say some more interesting and uh, modern technology to deliver it. So it's a, yeah, a cloud-delivered cloud delivered application acceleration solution versus embedding it down into the, the okay, branch right. uh, WAN layer. Yeah, so because that's where my like, mind went was you're putting the the algorithms to do you know TCP header compression or something like that you know or a, a application acceleration at the edge, but you're not. You're doing network bypass and and a range of different features in the cloud in off prem. Yeah, and in fact, what we're doing, um, it actually uses some AI predictive models uh, to do what it does. So it's right. it's um, while it seems like a, a similar uh, animal to the you know the WAN optimization solutions of yesterday, it's it's doing things in a completely <laughs> dramatic fashion. Okay, so it's not like we're going back to WAN acceleration from 20, 30 years ago. This is a completely different approach. It's using AI to fingerprint the apps, get some idea. There's a whole bunch of things you can do to package, but we're not. We don't want to really talk about the details of that in today's show. We don't have the time for it. But you can actually do a bunch of acceleration once it gets into the cloud that moves the data through significantly faster than it would over, say, a public WAN or a private WAN. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So we're we're now leveraging, you know, predictive capacity models to go and do like, prefetching of things versus relying upon uh, waiting for a user to click on something and then have some objects cache down. Right. It's it's a completely different uh, approach to doing app application acceleration as compared to how we did that thing, uh, you know, ten years ago. So we've got a couple of topics to get to before we do. I just want to close off on the uh, integration between SD WAN and. Uh access. So sort of gen one with my SD-WAN gateway, I could run security services directly on that gateway, a firewall, IDS, et cetera. Is that still the case or is everything now moving into the cloud for cloud delivered security? You know, where you need uh, security services uh, in the WAN edge, um, that's still going to be delivered there for local segmentation purposes and security mm -hmm. purposes. So you have to keep some element of that in the, in the WAN edge. Uh, but then where we take advantage of, of the cloud is all those advanced security services and um, cloud-centric security services, SaaS-centric security services, all those things are still cloud delivered. Okay. So like a CASB uh, web security gateway and so on? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Mm. Since this is a networking conversation in 2023, 2024, we have to talk about AI. Um, is Palo Alto Networks doing anything with AI in the SD-WAN space? Yeah, I think AI has been a part of our platform for a very long time. It's uh, it's how the, the, the platform's always worked, where you give an expectation of, um, of what the user should experience, and the system will learn the conditions around it, uh, the, the actual transport conditions, and then find a way to achieve that. We talked about that earlier. So that's been a kind of ingrained part of the solution from, from the beginning. Um, but now we've layered on some additional services. We talked about ADEM earlier. And that is one that you know looks at the the application experience 
across mm-hmm. all of the users, uh, the WAN edge, uh, the you know the security cloud, uh, to get a comprehensive picture across every particular access point. So we, we mm-hmm. take all that data that comes in from ADAM and the other points, and we put that into a single data lake. Um, and then those things are can be leveraged to be uh, consistent across uh, the Prisma SASE platform in, in some really unique ways. Curious to know what benefit I would get uh, by you guys having that data lake and just analyzing all of this experience management data. Yeah, there's several. I think the ones that stick out are, um, you know, around correlation. So if you have a a problem, it may be uh, manifest uh, from a user perspective, a network perspective. You may see this, you know, be, uh, uh, being impactful at multiple different layers, and you could receive, you know, two or five or fifty different alerts uh, for that particular problem, or you could receive one. And that's where we excel at is finding the correlations uh, across those different you know perspectives in the system and giving you that single incident to go focus on versus uh, individual symptoms. Yeah. Can you give me an example? Because uh, a lot of the talk discussions we've had about ADEM have sort of been about almost at the end user point where it's like your laptop isn't close enough to the wireless AP or there's some function, uh, you know, some executable on your laptop that's hurting performance. How are you extrapolating that to be something global that could help, you know, the whole, everybody who's using this product? Yeah. I mean, I think one uh, example of that would be looking at, let's say it's an application that's important to the business, such as uh, Zoom or Slack or MS Teams. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be monitoring that application from every particular vantage point possible, uh, including the you know the, the branch WAN, uh, the mobile user, and from the security cloud infrastructure. And if we see an incident uh, that gets, occur- gets triggered from uh, you know, two or more of those locations, uh, we're going to go and pull those di- those different things together. And it could be, you know, a hundred users and ten different branches see the same problem. Uh, that's how we pull that data together uh, to give that single incident. It's just because you've got so much data. This is one of the things about SD WAN and SASE is you can collect that data. It's not, you know, locked away in a private network that wasn't connected to anything. We're now all connected on a public way and that data can be collected up in the cloud. But the AI is there. Let me ask you a pointed question about AI if I can. We've seen a lot of people talk about AI accuracy and how it can sometimes uh, deviate from what we expect, shall we say. How are you addressing that? If you had to say to a customer or a potential customer, our AI works and you know, and we can be confident that it's working the way we expect, how do you address that? Yes, I think that is a, a really good question, especially in the era of generative AI. In one of the things that uh, so we we strive for a a ninety percent um, accuracy with how mm-hmm. we test against all of the different uh, use cases, and then uh, we give that confidence score back to the customer. And we've had this right. um, in Prisma SD WAN now, I think for at least two and a half three years on some okay. of our AI cases we do around um, uh, circuit insights and finding you know problems at the circuit layer uh, leveraging some type of uh, intelligence that we've that we've built on the system so that's been around for a while and we'll continue to have that transparency in that confidence level and how about going forward are there plans we're seeing folks talk about being able to bring in generative AI LLMs natural language query into management products is that something we might expect here yeah, I think we all had our world rock uh, about this time last year with the introduction of uh, ChatGPT 3.5. 
And we've all sought interesting ways to, to leverage those types of technologies. And if you think about, you know, what a, um, a GPT-like experience does and what problems it solves, they're a little bit different than how we might solve problems for an enterprise platform right. um, versus, you know, answering questions using, you know, training on a bunch of, you know, internet text data, you know, in a, in a you know, a modern network solution, yeah. an infrastructure solution, your data never stops coming in. So it's yeah. there streaming in 24 hours a day. So the approach you take uh, for that is you actually train the, the LLM on your database schemas. And the way I, I see this is we're really, uh, by doing that, um, we are unlocking a real you know, new era in the democratization of data for the customer. And I'll give you an example. So um, uh, part of my role is to make sure that we have a you know a good user experience and design that with our, our UX engineers. Uh, we really you know you can only build so much into an interface without turning it into a uh, a Boeing cockpit. So you have to make it you know consumable. <laughs> you you have to yeah. you know you really focus in on a top maybe 100 to 200 questions that, that interface can answer for you. So all the ones yeah. that that uh, the you know the, the top queries a customer might have. Yeah, uh -huh. people aren't going to ask a, an enterprise IT uh, SASE LLM to uh, questions about Tolkien and, you know, book three of the Lord of the Rings sort of thing. So well, you I never have... know with this audience, but I do. <laughs> no, I could find some value in that. Yes. Yeah, somebody might, but that's what the public ones, you know, the public LLMs are for. The LLMs yeah. that you can create for enterprise IT need to be focused, can be much more focused on narrower use cases. And so I think you end up with a higher level of confidence that the LLM isn't hallucinating because it's not necessarily trained on random fiction books or, you know, religious texts or political um, legislation, is, which is, yeah. you know, and, and so forth. And so you end up with, I'm much happier with narrow AI as a way of going forward than I am hearing, oh yeah, no, we just took a public LLM and, you know, I found something like, you know, Facebook's Llama or something and dropped that in there and, or hugging face that everybody, you know, that's, I don't want to use that. I, I want to be able to have an AI trained on what exactly I'm working on. That's exactly right. And really at the end of the day, what it allows the customer to do is uh, no longer are they constrained to those questions that we we know every customer has and build those on the UI. It's really, they can answer, they can ask a novel set of questions uh, that gets put against our data lake and they can do that with natural language uh, that gets translated into uh, a query on the back end, yeah. leveraging some pretty cool technologies and they get a response back. And the response back, you know, it could be in the form of a list of data, a time series of data. Um, these models are flexible enough to be able to render that data and their response uh, mm -hmm. in the way in the actual format of the data response. So it's it's really, really powerful. Tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for an LLM that'll generate a dashboard. So I can sit there and say, I want a dashboard that shows this information and these alerts, and I want to see these charts, and it'll go off and generate that dashboard for me. I'll get to work on that right now. Thank you. I'll be, I'll be very <laughs> pleased to talk to you about that next week. Is it? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, Bill, we've run out of time for today. It's been a, a bit of a journey through some ancient history of almost like five or six years ago to where we are today. And just to reflect on how far SD-WAN has come and what Palo Alto Networks has been doing to bring everything so much forward. It's kind of easy, to, you know, because we do this so often, it's, kind, it's very difficult to understand just how far the gap has come in, in, the, in the years. If people want more information, Bill, where can they find more? Yes. For more information, you can go to paltonetworks.com forward slash sassy forward slash SD-WAN, or you can follow me. I am Bill J. Pruitt on LinkedIn.
And with that note, thanks so much for listening today. Thanks very much to our sponsor for Palo Alto Networks for joining us today. It's been uh, without them, we wouldn't be able to bring this content to you. You can find Bill J. Pruitt over on LinkedIn if you want to reach out and harass him in person and ask him to explain or excuse something that he did today. And of course, I'm Greg Farrow. You can find me and Drew Conry Murray. We're over on the packetpushes.net website. You can harass us there or on our favorite social medias. We're everywhere. You can find this and much more fine free technical podcasts along with our website at packetpushes.net. You can follow us along on your favorite social medias, especially find us on LinkedIn. Listen to us on Spotify and rate us on Apple Podcasts if you would. It helps us so much if you could leave a rating if the show was good. And last but never ever least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.